0: You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. So this morning we're wrapping up our series, Psalms of the Summer. So we've been going through the Book of Psalms and just kind of seeing how we are to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. And we're kind of seeing what that looks like and the importance of staying in tune with the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And I think that sometimes With the pace of life, the way that things work today, man, it's so fast-paced, and there's so many distractions, and there's so many reasons that we tend to tune out the Holy Spirit working in us, speaking to us every day. And I feel like the longer that we are tuned out, the harder it gets to hear His voice, and the harder it gets to see Him working in our lives, and that can sometimes lead to us having a dry season That can sometimes lead to us not knowing what is happening next. And we're going to look in Psalms chapter 42 and kind of what it says. And then, like I said earlier, everything we do here at Living Grace is based on Scripture, is based on the Bible, not our opinions, not our emotions, not what we think. So the Bible is our foundation. The Scripture is what we base our lives on. And like I said, we're going through the Psalms to understand who God is and how he works in our lives. So we're going to dive in, and I want you to pay attention to the way that the writer, the way that the psalmist navigates through this season that he's going through, the way that he navigates through this problem, the way he works his way through it. I want us to pay attention. I want, my hope is that we handle sorrow, spiritual depression, seasons of spiritual dryness, as the psalmist does. So let's dive right in. So Psalms chapter 42, and it's going to be up on the screen, um, and it says this. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise Him again. Or for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep; at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That is some heavy stuff, right? There's this inner conflict. He's fighting with himself pretty much. He's almost, it it seems like he's contradicting himself, right? One moment he's like, man, everything's horrible. Oh yeah, but I have God. And then it kind of goes back to like, this is bad. This is good. This is bad. This is good. And I think that is very realistic with how we as humans deal with depression how we deal with difficult things in our lives, how we deal with these difficult seasons, right? Because ideally it would be like, I'm going through this difficult time. I'm going through this valley. Oh yeah, God is with me. God is good. Bam, you know, we're on the mountaintop again and that's where we'll stay for the rest of our lives. But if we're realistic, that's not what it looks like. It's like this, it's, it's this inner battle. He keeps reminding himself, God is good. God is with me. And then he says, God, why have you forgotten me? And he says, no, but again, I will praise him soon. So there's a lot going on, and Psalm 42 is an intensely personal and honest confession of a man whose soul is in distress. He is in distress. He has that inner turmoil. And there's so much going on, and we're going to break down this passage. Um, So this morning, we're looking at or talking about a condition that either has come upon us or will come upon us, but like more than likely at some point. In our lives, we have felt the way that the psalmist feels, the way that this writer feels. We have asked ourselves, God, where are you in this situation? Because I don't see you move. I don't see your hand. I don't see the situation getting any better. And if we're here, that also tells me that God has gotten us out of that situation before. And if he's done it before, he'll do it again. And we can have faith in that. But we're going to read a little bit on uh, and see how that applies to our lives. So even though this is a heavy passage with a lot of heavy emotions, I think ultimately it is a hopeful passage because it shows us what to do when we are going through spiritual depression, when we are going through a dry season, when we feel like we're alone, when we feel like we're stuck in the same place, when we feel like we're not growing, when we feel like nothing is going the way that it should, when we don't know what's next, and it shows us what to do when we are thirsting for God. So like I said, we've been going through different psalms all of the summer, and we've been talking about staying in tune with the Spirit. And there are spiritual disciplines that help us grow and mature as believers. They help us grow into the person that God has designed us to be. Um, there's prayer, right? There's reading our scripture, and that helps us grow, and it, it moves our life forward more towards what we want to be, more to be Uh, what God or who God created us to be. But there are some spiritual disciplines that help us treat problems. There are spiritual disciplines that help us treat the difficulties that we will inevitably face in this life. And that's what we're looking at this morning. We are here to look at how to treat these problems, how to treat the spiritual dryness, how to treat the spiritual thirst, how to treat the spiritual depression. So the condition of the psalmist, the condition of the writer, he says that he's downcast. He is feeling alone. He's feeling hopeless. He isn't seeing a solution up ahead. He isn't seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But he is hoping. In the midst of everything, he is hoping. And I think a lot of us have felt that way, where we do not see a solution, right? I said this before, but we as humans try to be in control of our lives. We want to know what's next. We want to feel that comfort and that peace all of the time, because we plan and we set goals for ourselves, we do all these things. And if we're honest, a lot of the times, most of the time, things don't go according to plan, right? There are road bumps in the middle of that road. There are things that hold us back. We have flaws. There's so many things going wrong in our lives, and we're like, "God, where are you?" In this situation, the goals that I planned were good. What I was trying to do was great. I was maybe even working for your kingdom, but it didn't work out. Where are you? I'm doing the things that I should be doing. But God has a plan even when we don't see it, even when we don't know what it is. And I think ultimately what the psalmist is doing, what the writer is doing, he's clinging onto God. He's hoping in God. He's saying, God, I don't know what's next. I don't know what life has in store for me, but I do know you. And even though right now I'm feeling like I'm stuck, I'm stuck in the middle of this storm, I know who you are, and he's reminding himself constantly. So he is being completely honest with what he is feeling. He is being completely vulnerable. He isn't bottling it in, and maybe he did to a certain point, but we see that he is at a breaking point, right? He's at a breaking point, he's being honest with what he's feeling, and my question is, do we as believers trust in God? Absolutely, right? If I ask any of you, if you've been following God for the longest time and I ask you, do you trust in God? Do you believe in him? I feel like most of us would say yes, absolutely. But just because we trust in him doesn't mean that we do not have these feelings from time to time. It doesn't mean that we don't have this feeling of anxiety or that we don't feel like we're carrying this weight. We don't feel like we're in turmoil or we don't have this despair. He, the psalmist is pouring his soul out, and he is listening to his emotions. He is listening to the feelings that are in his heart, and that's all right. That is completely all right because he is being honest with himself. He's figuring out, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling like this? God, help me. It's a cry for help. So the second thing that we see is he has the self-dialogue. He's speaking to himself, right? So he says, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? He's talking to himself. He's addressing himself. And I don't remember where I heard this, but a lot of the times we stress ourselves out by listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. I give myself anxiety all the time when I'm like laying in bed, the day's over, and like I'm just laying there ready to go to sleep. And then I'll think like, oh, I forgot to do this. And then that leads to another thing. And then that leads to, well, what am I going to do like a year from now? What am I going to do a year, like, or five years from now? What's my long-term plan, like, career-wise, whatever? And, like, I just get in my head. And because I'm listening to all of these thoughts, I'm listening to all of these worries, I stay up all night. And it's like 4 a.m. when I finally realize, like, wait, I don't have to worry about this right now. Like, I don't have to deal with this this very second. What am I going to do at 3 in the morning laying in bed to fix all of these problems? Literally nothing, right? But I am listening to myself when I should be like, God, you're in control, and remind myself, Lord, you are in charge of my life. I am completely surrendered to you. I know that you are a good God. So instead of listening to myself and my worries and my problems and my feelings, I tell my heart, I tell myself, I tell my feelings, hey, God is in control. Hey, God knows what he's doing hey, maybe right now things aren't as good as they should be, but in the future, if I keep clinging on to God, if I keep hoping in God, I can trust that things will be better. So we have to talk to our hearts. We have to tell our hearts, this is what I know about God. This is what his word says about him, and I believe it to be true, even if in this moment it does not feel like it. We have to talk to our hearts. We have to know what God's plan is and know that his plans are better than ours. Know that no matter what happens, if he is fully in control, even if we're scared, I'm not saying we won't be scared. It's scary. But we still know that he is in control. And the third thing that we see that he is doing, he's fighting. Man, he is fighting to have that hope. Because like I said, it does not feel like there is hope in his situation. But he is clinging on to God He is reminding himself, even if he doesn't feel him right now in this very moment, even though he can't praise him right now through the storm, through the battle, through whatever he's going through, he knows that in the future, he will. Why? Because God has gotten him out of other situations before. God has gotten him out of problems before. And again, he's in the middle of it, right? But he knows that in the future, he will be able to praise him again. In the future, things will be great again. In the future, he'll be able to fully trust him again. So he's clinging on to hope. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter four, verses seven through nine, it says, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed." And we know this, this is just one passage of God's loyalty, of God's uh, sovereignty, of God being in control of our lives. And like, if you grew up in church or if you've read your scripture enough, there are so many verses like this, right? And we know this, we know that God is with us. We know that he is in control. We know that he wants what is best for us. We know that he will not abandon us, but even though we know it, sometimes it does not feel this way. The psalmist knew all of these things about God, but he did not feel it in that very moment. When you're in the middle of affliction, when you're in the middle of turmoil like he's talking about, it's hard to cling on to that knowledge. And like in this passage, it's when we have to remind our souls, we have to remind our hearts of who God is. We need a constant reminder of these truths, and that is okay. That does not make you any less of a Christian. That doesn't make you any less of whatever it may be, whatever people around us may tell us. We all go through problems, and anyone that says that they don't, it's probably lying. We all have felt this way at a certain point. And that's why it's okay to remind yourself of who God is. That's why it is in scripture. If it was just something that came to us naturally in problems, it'd be like, oh yeah, trust in God, and that would be it, right? I would be done with this sermon like five minutes ago. But it's something that we need to be reminded of. That was just my intro. <laughs> So this morning, we're going to break this passage down. But before we do it, I kind of want to do a small overview of the writer's life, of what he was going through. So externally, his circumstances were oppressing. So if we look in verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Listen, it's obvious that they're kicking this writer, the psalmist down, like kicking him while he's down. They wouldn't say that to someone where everything's going great, right, whose life is going perfect, and they see God provide, they see God uh, give them peace, and they wouldn't be like, hey, where's your God? Because you would be like, right here. Like, you don't see my circumstances? You don't see everything going great? Obviously, things were not going great. And then there's these external things, external factors that are piling on. And then I know if you've gone through any type of depression, any type of dry season, when it rains, it pours, right? When one thing goes wrong, it's the next thing and the next thing, and it's all piling on. And that's what's going on. And then we also see in verse 10, he kind of repeats, As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? And then internal. So verse 5, he is also facing this in- internal battle, internal affliction. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with, me, or yeah, within me? <clears throat> so again, he is b- both sides of it. Externally, there's a ton of stuff going on. Internally, there's this battle. I'm sure he was already asking himself, like, where are you, God? And then it was so obvious that he felt alone. That his situation was so bad that it was obvious to his enemies that he felt that way. And they taunted him saying, where is your God? So there's a lot of stuff going on. But then like I said before, he's also searching for hope. In the middle of that problem, in the middle of that situation, in the middle of that inner turmoil, he is searching for hope. So verse 5 says, hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I will again praise him. I don't know if you've ever been so down, if you've ever felt so depressed, so broken, where you felt like you could not praise God. But let me tell you, I've been there where you know what you have to do to feel better, right? You know who you have to run to to, to fix this problem, to f- emotionally be in a better place. You know what steps to take to be in that better place, but there's this weight, this heaviness that doesn't let you move. It doesn't let you take that action, right? And you feel so down. I should praise, right? We say to ourselves, but I physically can't. And the psalmist is at this point. He can't praise. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows who he's supposed to trust in. He knows who he's supposed to believe in. But at this very moment, physically he cannot. So verse 11 says, hope in God. He can't praise, but he's telling his soul to praise, and it isn't working, and that's a scary place to be in. It's a scary place to be in, to know that you have to trust in God, and you're telling yourself, and you're like, in the future I will, but right now, at this very moment, I can. Something that I want to point out is that he is not where he wants to be yet, but I love how fiercely he's holding on to God regardless. It ends with him holding on to God, the last verse and it's not like a fairy tale ending. It's not like, and everything was peaceful and everything is great, the end. And that's Psalm chapter, or verse 42, or chapter 42, my bad. Like, that's not it. It ends with him saying, like, I am still in turmoil, but I will soon praise him. It's not wrapped up neatly with a bow. It's not a fairy tale ending because he wasn't out yet. He was still in the middle of his problem. He was still in the middle of his trial but he is still clinging on to God. His external circumstances were oppressing. His internal and emotional condition was depressed and full of turmoil, but he is fighting for that hope. And it's a remarkable thing that at the end of the psalm, he is still fighting. He is not where he wants to be, but the last words of the psalm are, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. And then he leaves us with this feeling, with this these words of him still fighting, in that or fighting for a joyful experience of hope and freedom from that turmoil. Before I continue, I do want to say that I am an advocate for counseling and therapy, and I believe in the same way that God has the ability to hear our, heal our bodies from sickness uh, through the gift of science and medicine. I think that there are people uh, that are equipped to help us with our mental health, our people that provide us with the tools to work on our mental health. Um, At the same time, I believe in the same way that we pray for healing in our body, we can see and pray God work in our emotional and mental health as well. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other, right? We don't have to say it's only this or it's only that, but they both can work in unison. So both things are very helpful. Both things are very beneficial, but we're focusing on uh, more of spiritual depression, and we're seeing what the Bible says about this because I'm not a trained professional. <laughs> so verse one says, as the deer pant uh, for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As humans, as his creation, we have this deep, agonizing need for a relationship with We crave to be with him. The psalmist describes this as a thirst, right? But he's thirsting for God directly. I would argue that as Christians, we have a front row seat of noticing, of seeing how broken the world really is, of how desperately we need God. Have you ever been outside like on a really, really sunny day, and then you come back inside, and even though all the lights are on, everything still seems kind of dark? I feel like that's the same way when we are aware of the light that is Jesus Christ, and we are aware that in comparison, in comparison, everything in this world is dark. Once we know who Jesus is, once we know his hope, once we know his peace, everything else seems darker. We are aware that of the need of such a light in this broken world. In Romans, it says that creation groans and we groan eagerly waiting for the transformation of our bodies. But at the same time, even though we are aware of the darkness of this world and we're aware of how broken and how far away this world is from Christ and how much they need him, at the same time, we know the truth of Jesus. We know that he has the power to restore, that he offers each and every one of us that peace and that joy And even though a lot of the times most people turn a blind eye to the reality of how fallen this world is, we cannot. As Christians, we cannot turn a blind eye to that. We don't have the luxury of pretending that we don't live in a fallen world. And like the psalmist, it can be difficult to find a balance between witnessing everyday tragedies and seeing people that we love be hurt while also maintaining hope and faith in God. That's such a difficult balance. So the psalmist, the writer of this, is aware of his need for God. And it's not that he doesn't believe in God anymore. He never says that he doesn't believe in God. He just doesn't feel his presence. He doesn't feel his comfort in that situation. He doesn't feel that God is working in him anymore. He lost that relational experience of God's face. He he lost the feeling, and he is searching for it in things like his memories right? He's remembering when he'd go to the temple. He's remembering when he'd praise him, when he'd worship him. And he's trying to find comfort in that. And I know a lot of the times that works, right? If it's not such a bad situation, we're like, man, God got me out of this. He's going to do it again. I remember when he got me out of whatever situation, and now I'm here, so he'll do it again. And sometimes that is enough to pull us out of that rut. But we see that for him it's deeper than that. He's trying to use this tactic. He's trying to remember what God has done for him. And he's saying like, oh, God will get me out. But he's still feeling that sense of despair. And this isn't a regular thirst. It's comparing it to the metaphor he uses is a deer panting. So there's this desperateness, right? There's this desperateness. I've been thirsty before, but to the point where you're panting means that not only are you thirsty, you are exhausted. I'm thirsty right now, honestly. But, like, it gets to the point where if you're panting, you have been running, you have been either stressed out, it's been a long journey if you're to that point where you're panting. So you're under pressure, you've been running, you've been persecuted, you've been thirsty to the point where you can no longer ignore it. When I was in the eighth grade, we had this football coach that was really intense. He was a Vietnam war vet, and uh, we were practicing outside. It was like 100-plus degree weather, and he wanted us with a helmet, full pads, and then his thing was always, uh, waters for the week, waters for the week. So, like, we were taught, like, okay, like, you go all of practice, and at the end of practice, you earned your, like, a Gatorade bottle of water, and that was it, right? So we were like, all right. And then we just had that mentality, like, oh, yeah, no, this guy's, like, the real thing. He's a vet. He had played college ball, so he knows what he's talking about, right? And I remember, like, it was so hot in those pads. We were so thirsty, and, like, that's just what we were taught. So we accepted it, and I remember being so thirsty. And then I think, like, maybe a few weeks into the season, uh, a couple of towns over, this kid got heat exhaustion he passed out and he had to go to the hospital. So after that, we got water breaks like every like 20 minutes. <laughs> so it was like, it's just something very intense, but like that's a situation where I was very thirsty because of the situation that I was in. But we innately have this need for a personal relationship with God. God put this thirst in us for him and his presence, right? We were built that way to crave him, to want him, to need him and to need that relationship with him <clears throat> we have the need to know him and be known by him but to the point or the point of it the end goal isn't that we are just supposed to be thirsty for god it's that we are supposed to be satisfied in god that's the point of that thirst the point of that thirst isn't god being mean and being like ha you need me but it's like hey you need me and only i can satisfy this only I can satisfy this thirst. Nothing else in this world will satisfy this thirst, only me. So like I said, this isn't a torture. God didn't make us thirst for him or need him because he wants us to. He knows that apart from him, there is no true satisfaction. Apart from God, aside from God, there is no true joy. There is no true love because it all stems from him. It all comes from God. So uh, Charles Spurgeon kind of talks on this uh, passage, and he says that not merely for the temple and the ordinances, but the fellowship with God himself, none but spiritual men can sympathize with this thirst. So it's not just David wanting to go to the temple, or we don't know if it was David. I was trying to not say David the whole time, and that's why I kept saying psalmist. We're not 100% sure that David wrote this, but pretty sure. So if it slips out, it's probably David, but the psalmist So the psalmist isn't just wanting to go to the temple. He's not just wanting to worship. He's not just wanting to be like physically in a place where God is, but he wants a relationship. He's thirsting for a relationship with God himself. This is one of my favorite stories because every time I tell it, I remember more details of how I messed up. And then I realize how many mistakes I could have avoided, which makes it funnier to me every single time. Because <laughs> I don't know. But uh, back in June, we were at the Grand Canyon, right? And I feel like I've told the story about I had hiking boots on that were like a size too small, not broken in. But that's not the point of this story. This point, the point is that while we were hiking down, first of all, there's a ton of signs that say do not attempt to go from the top to the bottom in one day because it's only seven miles. And you would think seven miles isn't that long if you have all day. Well, it is. <laughs> And then this whole time, I was like, it's not for me. I'm built different. I've got this. This isn't too bad. But anyway, the point is I had just one bottle of water. And first of all, I don't hydrate, I realize, like uh, like a healthy person should. Like, I don't drink that much water throughout the day. So I hadn't drank that much water throughout the day. I had this pretty much half bottle of water. Um, and I was like, I'll be fine. It's seven miles. How hard can it be? And we're walking down. Again, my shoes are way too small. So, every time I'm stepping, it's like hurting my toes. My toes are still purple from that hike. <laughs> it's been since June. But, like, the whole time, I'm like, oh, I have enough water. I'm just gonna like ration it, sip on it, going down. And I was fine, I was fine. And then it gets to the point where uh, I run out of water. And, the, like, the water that I had in my backpack was already very hot. So, it wasn't like exactly satisfying my thirst. And uh, I just decided to keep going. And I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. And then I was not fine. I was very thirsty, uh, very dehydrated, very lightheaded. I started getting nauseous and I didn't tell anyone. (laughs) But I was like, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Like, I'll just make it. And then in my mind, I was like, if I make it down to the river, I'll just like drink the water. I don't care if there's bacteria or parasites or amoeba or whatever. Like, I will drink whatever water is down there. And then I was like, no. And then eventually we turned back and I remembered maybe like, I think two miles or something like that up the road, there was like this water spigot that looked like it was probably there since like the 1800s. And I was like, we just have to make it to that. I'm so far away. And then this is going uphill too. So horrible, horrible situation. And then I remember looking up and then I was so lightheaded, so tired. And I was like, if I pass out here, like nobody's gonna be able to come down in time to like save me. And I was like, well, I guess this may be it because I only packed one, one water bottle. But fortunately we made it back and then I filled up my water bottle in that old spigot and just chugged it and then filled it up again and then chugged it and then filled it up and then made my way back up. And then we got to this other place where there was for sure clean water and I filled my water bottle up and I just drank so much. And after that, I bought a hydration pack with like five gallons of water on my back. I learned my lesson. So if you ever go hiking and you think that you don't need water, you 100% need water, overpack pack nothing but water that's the most important thing and also breaking your shoes but like like i was so far away from that source of water that i felt this uh, just i just felt desperate because i was so far away and i was aware of that need <clears throat> so the distance to that one water spigot felt so much longer because i was so thirsty and i was so tired whenever we feel far away from god our thirst and our our uh, tiredness intensifies way more. We feel far away from God, but the truth is that His Spirit is in us, right? We do not have a God that is far away, watching us from a distance, and is saying, "Well, I hope you figure it out. I hope you can hike those two miles and make it to that source." He is our source. And he is in us, and he is working in us. And that's why it's so important for us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and what he is saying to us and how he is working in us. And that's why we are supposed to pay attention. And that's why it's up to you and it's up to me to take a moment to pause in our lives, in our daily routines, in the middle of our problems, in the middle of whatever we are going through, and remind ourselves of who God is. So his soul is thirsting after God. He has reached a place in his experience where he knows only God can meet his need. He longs to come into a relationship. He is trying to revitalize that relationship. And then he realizes that that is the only way that his thirst, that his need, that his hunger will be quenched. So he says in verse 2, when shall I come and behold the face of the Lord? In other words, he has experienced a sense of God's delay. He knows that God is there. He knows that God exists. He knows that God has the power to get him out of this situation. But he's like, you're taking so long. And then I know that we have felt that way, where it's like, God, I know you're there. I know you have the power to do this. I know that you have the possibility to get me out of the situation, but you're taking so long. And he knows that God has met his needs in the past And he expects him to meet him again. But for some reason, the help is delayed, and it's hard for him to bear. And I'm sure that we found that it is also hard for us to bear this. When God immediately answers our our prayers and our, our spirits are lifted, we find ourselves strengthened, right? In that moment, we turn to him because it's like, thank you, God, for getting me out of this. And it's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, when it feels like he's doing nothing, what do we do? There are times where he lets us wait. Those times of delay are the times that test our faith. Those difficult times test our faith. And that's what the psalmist was experiencing here. And it was made worse by taunts of his enemies, by all of these external factors. When I think back to the most difficult moments of my life, to my lowest points, to my rock bottom, when I was feeling depressed, when I was feeling anxious, when I felt the most alone, I remember that there was a clear choice in my life to immediately turn to God and quench that thirst, satisfy that thirst, or there was a choice to turn to the things of this world and then try to figure it out that way. Sorry. (laughs) So when I faced my biggest battles, whenever I went through the most difficult times, the only way that I made it through that was by giving up, and don't tune out right now, I'm going somewhere with this, I'm not saying give up. I gave up because I had no choice. I gave up because there was nothing left in my power that I could do, there was nothing that I could fix, there was nothing in my power that I could do to get up from where I was. I made it through because I gave up trying to control everything all the time. I gave up on carrying my own burdens and trying to resolve my own problems. I gave up on relying on my own wisdom. I gave up on relying my own strength. Could I have trusted in God from the very beginning? Absolutely. But it wasn't until everything was completely out of my control and I had no choice but to trust in God because literally there was nothing else that I saw my need for Christ. That was the moment that my thirst was quenched. That's the moment that I was satisfied. The fact of the matter is that we all face trials. We will continue to experience this thirst. When we feel so far away from God, we try to fulfill that. And like I said, we either run to God to satisfy us or we run to this world to satisfy us. And I know that if you've chosen the second option, it has not satisfied you because it hasn't satisfied me either. We may think that we may be satisfied with things of this world, but those wells run dry. Those wells run out. And you go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next. And each time those wells dry out. And when we look back, we can see that we have walked such a long distance from where we started but made no progress when it comes to being satisfied because we went the wrong way. We walked the wrong way from Christ. We walked away from the well that won't run dry. We walked away from the only thing that can truly satisfy us. Yet even when we do that, even when we turn away, when we try to fix our own problems or try to satisfy that thirst, he is waiting for us. He is pursuing us. He is ready to redeem us. He is ready to change our lives. He's ready to satisfy our thirst because he is faithful even when we are not. The psalmist is honest with how he is feeling. We can be honest with God about the condition of our hearts. We can be honest with God about what we're going through. We can be honest and say, God, I know you're there, but I don't feel you at this very moment. We can be honest about what we're going through because he already knows. He already knows exactly what you're feeling. We are not hiding anything from him. He knows that we feel desperate. He knows that we feel alone, but our feelings aren't the truth. His word is the truth. And that's why the psalmist is always reminding himself of that. Verse 3 says, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How will I go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of song and praise and a multitude keeping festival. The psalmist tries to remember where he used to find joy. He tries to rationalize the way he feels. Sometimes we feel alone and scripture tells us time and again, time and time again that we aren't. We feel a certain way and we know that it isn't true, right? We know that we aren't alone. The Bible tells me, but that doesn't mean that that feeling isn't real. And that applies to other things in life as well. We feel a certain way and we know that what we're feeling isn't true. Sometimes we may feel like we're not worth anything and we know that it isn't true because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. We are worth everything to him, but we still feel that way. So even though the problem in the situation isn't true, those feelings, those feelings are real and it's hard to shake it off sometimes. So we see this back and forth. He is fighting to have hope in the middle of a situation in in the middle of a situation that seems hopeless And not only is there inner conflict, like I said, but his enemies, all of these things are saying, where is your God? And like I said, most of us have been in a situation where we ask ourselves the very same thing. God, where are you? I'm waiting on you, I'm hoping in you, but I don't see you. But then again in verse nine, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? We see that, his, that oppression is getting to him. He's to the point where uh, he is saying like, God, why have you forgotten me? Maybe they're right. Maybe all of this situation, uh, all of these problems are breaking me down. Maybe they're right. Maybe you have forgotten about me, but he hasn't truly forgotten because then he talks himself out of it immediately and he ends with, I will praise him again, my salvation, my God. So this inner dialogue is very honest. He knows that he's not alone, but he knows that he is feeling this feeling of being downcast. Let me remind you this morning that you are not alone. We have a personal God who is not only with us, is not only present in our situation, but he is working in us. We have a savior that understands you and me. Uh, Tim Keller has this quote that has always just really got me real good. But it says, when Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the ultimate darkness was coming down on him and he knew what was coming, he didn't abandon you. He died for you. And if Jesus Christ didn't abandon you in his darkness, the ultimate darkness, why would he abandon you now in yours? The most difficult times in Jesus' life where he could have been like, I can't go through with this. You know, he even said, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, like, you know, let it be, but your will be done. He could have been like, no, these people deserve hell. These people deserve nothing. I don't have to die for them. But he did not abandon us in that situation. In his darkness, he did not abandon us. He did not leave us alone. Why would he do it in ours? Why would he do it? in these small, almost meaningless problems compared with his eternal glory, compared with his infinite wisdom, our problems aren't that big compared to what he is capable of doing. So why would he leave us alone? But the thing is, we know these things, right? Even when we see moments or situations in our lives as darkness to him, it isn't darkness. Because he is a light, and he knows how to take care of us. He knows how to get us through. So we need a constant reminder. and this is why it's so important to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit's the one that reminds us, even in those difficult times whenever it is hard. And I'll in with this. <clears throat> Again, we reached the end of the psalm, and it isn't, like I said, exactly a fairy tale ending but we are to remind ourselves what God has brought us out of, of how much we've grown, of how much he's transformed our lives. I think sometimes our growth seems to be so gradual that we, don't, we tend not to notice it as much as we should. Or sometimes even growth isn't linear, right? Meaning sometimes we're in a really good place and then in theory, we should keep going up and up, but we find ourselves back down in a valley and that's okay because God is still working in us, even in those valleys, even in the difficult times, he is still working in us. So maybe you're here this morning and you're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of a problem. You're in the middle of a tough situation. You're in the middle of that inner turmoil or maybe external turmoil and you're being attacked or whatever it may be. Cling to God in the middle of your problems. Cling to God in the middle of that situation fight for hope, speak to yourself, speak to your heart, remind yourself of who God is and know that God is good and ultimately that he is in control. Know that he is present and not only present in your situation, but he is working in you. He is working in the middle of your situation. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it, he is there. Maybe you're here this morning and you have also been through it and you've been through some tough situations, but God has gotten you out of that. And you have a powerful testimony. You have a powerful story to share. Be vulnerable like the psalmist. Share your story. Share your testimony. Share your feelings. Because you have no idea how big of an impact it can have on someone. To know that they aren't the only ones that have gone through a situation like that. One of my favorite passages is in 1 Peter 5.9. And it says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering being experienced by your or same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I remember reading it when I was younger and it seemed kind of odd because it's like, oh, things are difficult for you. Things are bad for you, they're bad for everyone. But no, it's not talking like that. That's not the tone. It's saying, hey, you're not alone. You are not alone. You see your brother over there, same exact place where you were at, but look at him now. Look where I pulled him out of. Look where he is right now. And that's why it's so important for us to share our testimony and share our stories. It's really knowing that we aren't alone. Being able to go through inner turmoil and these dry seasons and say, hey, I made it through. What you're going through right now, I went through and God got me out of it. God was faithful, God was present and he's doing the same in your situation. So throughout the book of Psalms, we see the psalmists are incredibly honest and vulnerable about their pain. Like imagine going up to your friend and be like, hey, how's it going? How are you? And the first thing they say are like, my tears have been food day and night. Well, they say to me all day long, where's your God? That would be so weird. That would be so weird because as a culture in society, we are not vulnerable. We are not vulnerable. We're not honest about what we're going through. That's just the way things are right now. So most of us would think, hey, this guy's weird. We don't talk like that. It sounds funny because of the wording or the verbiage, but we see this level of honesty and vulnerability that we don't see in today's society. And I'd say we don't even see in today's church. How many times do we feel like we have to hold things in? How many times do we face trials on our own? Whether it's out of fear of being perceived as weak fear of being judged, maybe fear of seeming like a burden to someone else. We don't want someone to take that on. Maybe it's out of pride. I feel like for me personally, that's something that God has been working on in me is I do not ask for help. I do not ask for help at all. And it's not like big things, even little things. You'll see me carrying a ton of stuff and like, oh, can I get the door for you? No, I got it. And like, that's just my mindset that I'm trying to break is I can accept help and not only accept help, but ask for help. Right? Right? There should never be a time where you're embarrassed or ashamed of the way that, the, that you are affected by the world's sin and brokenness. Because the truth is that this earth is sinful and the severity of sin should impact us. When we allow ourselves to feel vulnerable and open about our hurt, we find that it is easy to have more faith in God. We find that it is more easy to trust in God because we're being honest with, our, with ourselves about our need for him. So the Bible is very clear and it instructs us, instructs us to carry one another's burden. <clears throat> so, so yes, the world is broken. We watch people we love hurt. You know, we see them go through circumstances that we cannot explain. Sometimes we do not have the right words for them. And that's okay. We do not always have to have the right thing to say. I think sometimes that is also something that keeps us from, keeps us from reaching out keeps us from being there with them because it's like I don't know what to say. I don't know what scripture to like hand them. I don't know what to read to them. I don't know who to quote. And that's fine because sometimes just being present makes a world of difference. Maybe saying, "I don't know why you're going through this. I don't know what to tell you, but I'm here and you're not alone." And that makes so much of a difference. So again, maybe you're here this morning and you're like the psalmist and you're going through something difficult. You don't feel like you can handle it. You're going through a dry season. You don't feel like he is there. My advice to you is cling to him. Cling to God's love, cling to his sovereignty, to his faithfulness, because that isn't based on our emotions. The goodness of God isn't based on how we feel, which is a good thing because our feelings fluctuate and they're all over the place. So cling to God, remind yourself Remind your heart, remind your soul of who he is. Speak it to your heart and know that he is with you even when you don't feel it. And like I said, maybe you're here and you're on the other side of things. Be vulnerable, share your story, help guide your brother, your sister, help guide them down to that flowing stream, be present. And like I said, sometimes it just takes knowing that you're not alone. Cause like, man, I'm up here preaching today hopefully encouraging you, but maybe days, weeks, months, years from now, I may need to be reminded of this very thing. This is why we need each other. This is the point of a church. This is the point of a congregation is that we are there for each other. You know, How can we have community and fellowship with someone and not know what is going on in their lives, not care that if they're in turmoil or if they're depressed or if they feel alone, Nobody that comes into our lives as Christians should feel like they have to battle or go through this life alone. Nobody, nobody that we encounter, regardless if they are a believer or not. We are to be that light. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And the best thing that we can do is lead them to Christ, is lead them to God, is lead them to that stream and that well that doesn't run dry, the only thing that truly satisfies us. So again, the Psalm ends on kind of a weird note, kind of positive, kind of not. It's not like, oh, okay, I read this and I don't feel bad anymore. I went through this and my problem is completely gone. He says again in verse 11, the last verse, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, cling to God in the middle of your problems, in the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of that dry season, in the middle of whatever that you are going through. Cling to him. Again, remind yourself of who he is. We can do that through scripture. Sometimes we forget and we read something, and man, it helps us out tremendously. Read your scripture, but remind yourself, talk to yourself, right? more than just listening to all of your own problems and all of your own feelings, which I'm not saying don't listen to, but remind yourself of who God is despite your feelings, despite your problems, despite your anxiety, because you will again praise him and know that once again, your satisfaction is found in him and only him. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.